Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. This is the place where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Henry Dimbleby, co-founder of the Leon restaurant chain, co-author of the School Food Plan and, amongst other things, the co-founder of London Union, the operators of street food markets. Henry and his co-founder of Leon, John Vincent, bonded over fried chicken and various hamburgers, travelling together as management consultants. Intrigued by the lack of healthy options, they set up Leon in 2004. It is, as they say, our best attempt at creating fast food as it might be in heaven. Now, Leon operates 62 venues, mainly in the UK, with a Mediterranean-inspired menu that's 48% vegan or vegetarian. Henry describes Leon as having a radical environmental commitment to more plant-based food, renewable energy sources and less plastic. A movement, he says, for the whole restaurant industry to get behind. Henry's also the co-founder of Chefs in Schools, launched in April of last year, a charity aiming to recruit 100 chefs for 100 state schools in five years. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining. Henry, you do lots of things, and you have done lots of things. You founded a restaurant chain. You got involved with fixing food in schools. You're interested in putting markets up for food and celebrating the, the, the loveliness of that stuff. You write, you broadcast, you do lots and lots of stuff. Behind it all, who who's Henry? When's Henry at his happiest? Well, I, don't know. I mean, I've always done lots of stuff, and I'm still trying to work out uh, what I do. Although I did have dinner with my 80-year-old father a few weeks ago, and me and a friend and a few friends, we were all talking about like, our careers and what we were going to do. And after about 10 minutes, my dad kind of got frustrated, and he kind of said, well, what I want to know is, uh, you know, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to leave my mark? So he said this. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's of course. You've done so nothing. It's You've done nothing, genes. Mr. David Dillon, but nothing but, uh, at all. We don't know. We, we haven't even seen you. What kind of legacy will you leave? Was but, he being serious? Absolutely serious. But I mean, I've always done lots. Of, I, my degree was physics and philosophy, so it was yeah. kind of part science, part arts. And then yeah. I was uh, after university. I was a chef, and then I was a gossip columnist, and then I was uh, a management consultant, and then with uh, John Vincent my friend and business partner founded Leon. And so I've always kind of, you know, been restless, I guess. I like starting things. I like making things come to life that weren't there before. Uh, I think that's probably, you know, in my business life, that's where I'm happiest. You know, I've recently founded a charity, started a new business. I'm now working at DEFRA as the lead non-executive and been asked to devise a national food strategy. So I like the creation. And in my private life, that's actually in a very small way. So I'm happiest cooking for friends, actually, at home. And uh, I like just creating a nice atmosphere and seeing Mm. people enjoy themselves. The beginning of your first career, or let's call it parallel, because you've got a few careers here, so you're a multi-career man in front of me, the cooking. And I want to come to that first because you said you enjoy it, and that's in your when you're at home with the family and, and friends and so on. What is it about cooking that you love? What is it about? And I know you had a, a big influence. Your your mum obviously kind of taught you. I think there's a quote around not just how to eat, but how to enjoy food and how to yeah. understand food. What is it about food and cooking for you at the core of things that, that pleases you, that gives you satisfaction? I don't know. I mean, my mum was, uh, Jocelyn Dimbleby, was those of people who cooked in the 80s. She, she sold millions of cookbooks without ever going on TV. 
and people used to have Jocelyn Dimbleby dinner parties with her books. And she never uh, invited me into the kitchen. She was always writing books, but we used to eat this amazing food. And I guess there are kind of a number of pleasures with food. One is, I, I guess I inherit this from my mother. I like, I'm very sensory. She used to run outside on a, on a warm day and she'd feel the air with her hands and say, oh, feel that air. <laughs> totally normal um, upbringing then. There's no, no wonder Henry Dimble was completely straight. There, he's got it. And so I, I love the tastes and the smells. I love travelling and eating abroad. And then I like the kind of flow of it. I'm mentally kind of quite flighty, quite kind of active. And I like there's there's just enough when you're cooking that you can't really think about it, particularly if you're cooking quite a lot, that it stops you really from thinking about just, much else. And yeah. I find that very relaxing. And then I just love that thing. I mean, the thing that I always loved most about Leon, uh, the thing that I found most pleasurable was coming into uh, one of the restaurants when it was really busy, I still, still love this, coming into a restaurant when it's really busy, just standing at the back and watching people enjoying themselves and that feeling that you have created a space where people can be themselves and enjoy themselves and relax is incredibly satisfying. In terms of the the consultancy experience, so I'm just moving into your, your it was Bain, wasn't it? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. And that's where you met John, I think, as well. Very disciplined world, and I meet lots of people here who've, worked in management consultancy. What What is it for you about management consultancy that was useful? That as you think about chips in the Dimbleby box of stuff that he's then gone and used in his career, other careers, what was it, do you think, if you could pin it down to sort of two or three things? Well, it's interesting. I, mean, I, I loved, when I was doing my degree, I loved formal logic. It was like the thing in philosophy that I loved most, which is kind of, you know, taking an argument and then distilling it down into a mathematical formulae. And if I think about kind of the things that helped me, I actually think in terms of a lot of the skills that were required for Leon, being a gossip columnist was more helpful than being a consultant. Because being a gossip columnist, you're told, okay, I need you to get Tom Cruise's mobile phone number and give him a call by two o'clock this afternoon. And that's it, you know. And that is that, you, that creates a kind of never giving up uh, real resourcefulness um, that is required to be an entrepreneur. You know, I, I love being a gossip columnist. It was brilliant. The thing that consultancy gave, one was just an understanding of business. I didn't know what P&L was or a balance sheet was before I went to Bain, before I became a consultant. I, you know, I've been a chef and a gossip columnist. Well, what, how, did, had, how did you get the job? Well, cause it, I, well I, I applied as if I was an undergraduate, as uh, if I was just leading university. Because okay. I thought, in my, I kind of had this mad idea that I wanted to be Rupert Murdoch. Uh, <laughs> And so I thought, because, uh, you know, there's journalism in the family. And so I thought, well, after being a chef, that was fun. And I thought, well, I'll, if I want to be Rupert Murdoch, I've got to understand how newspapers work. So I'll become a journalist. And then I need so to understand... So strategic. It's very good. And then I need to understand how business works. So yeah. I'd go to a consultancy. And yeah. that's... I applied as a kind of... As an undergraduate. And they were foolish enough, lucky enough to let me... And I also applied to McKinsey, incidentally. And in my McKinsey interview, they asked me, what is leadership? And I had been sitting on the sofa watching something like Zelda Warrior Princess <laughs> the day before. And the, the, you know how at the end of these things they have kind of the moral of the story. And Zelda had said, well, leadership is just about listening. It's about listening as well as telling. 
And so I, I said, what is leadership? I've got no idea. It's about listening as well as telling. But I can tell anyone there who's applying for McKinsey, the Zelda warrior princess answer does not get you in. Doesn't work. They didn't know. McKinsey, McKinsey rejected me, but, but Bain let me in. But Bain let you in. The serious side of that is, of course, that you didn't just spend a couple of years and you, you, know, you went down in a, in a whole heap of flames. Seven, seven years there. It's yeah. a number of years. That's proper... Um, robust underpin for you as you then think about a business. Yes, I mean, I love what I loved about consultancy. By definition, because you're expensive, you are always there. You go from kind of crisis to crisis. You're always there for the really important issues in a company's history. So it's actually a very strange business upbringing because you're just used to dealing with only the most strategic, difficult mm. things, and that is fascinating. As someone who is who likes logic, who's a physicist, that kind of problem solving and getting your head around uh, getting around problems and trying to come up with problems is incredibly satisfying. But in the end, actually, you know, it's not yours. And that creative instinct came through. And that's, you know, I remember calling John with Vincent, who's a business partner and, and, and friend who founded Leon. I was out in Japan. I was working for Nihon Telecom for their telecom business in Japan. And I just thought, if I, you know, I'm getting paid so much, if I stay here, I'm never going to leave. And I rang John. I said, you know that fast food business that we've been talking about? I'm going to leave and I'm going to go and do it. I just thought I should let you know. And he said, well, I'm going to leave too and do it with you. And that's how Leon came to be, which is both of us wanted to make something. Stay with me for much more from my maker. That's uh, Henry Dimbleby. My business shape is there. He's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondrea with some excellent advice, I hope, for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the Corporate Department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance. It's widely accepted that having a sound system of corporate governance can help achieve long-term success. And this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas on which the weights principles focus. The first, which I'm going to talk about today, is about a suitable board structure making sure that you have a wide range of diverse talent on your board is key. Putting in place adequate training for your board members and ensuring there is independent challenge, perhaps with a non-executive director, can also assist. Finally, it's important to document the procedures that you have in place so everyone is clear about them. Using the weights principles is advisable and now would be a good time for companies to see how they measure up. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this very programme again with Henry. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers there. You can hear many of the recent programmes or just put Jazz Shapers into your favoured podcast platform and you can enjoy the full archive and there's quite a few excellent people in there. But back to today, it's Henry Dimbleby, co-founder of Leon Restaurants and non-exec board member at DEFRA, co-founder of London Union, ex-gossip colonist, ex-Bain and I could go on, I'm going to stop for a moment... You you said early on that you love creating things, and you ended, as we were talking about Bain, about, you know, I just can't do this, I want to do it for myself, I want to create something. We talked earlier about 
creating things that weren't there. You do like doing that. How do you come up with the gaps? I mean, people look at post-rationalising business decisions and positioning, and they they find some really dry language for it and some very left-brain ways of explaining things. Yeah. But in reality, what entrepreneurs do is they see something no one else has seen, and they go, "We're going to go there." Tell me about how you decided that the fast food, as if it came from heaven itself, was a proposition that could work. Well, I think that you know people do and it, any other, yeah, any no, other I mean, people people do it in different ways. You know, the guys from Innocent Smoothies who are friends of of ours, they laid out okay, what are the sectors which are growth sectors where there's no dominant player, and then they laid them all out and they decided smoothies, and that was the most attractive one. The things that I've been involved in creating, whether that is Leon or uh, London Union or Chefs in Schools, the charity that I've just founded were either things where instinctively, and this is the case of Leon and Chefs and Schools, it was something I thought needed to happen. I wanted it needed to happen. It just seemed obvious. So there was no strategic thinking at all there. And John and I really did it on a hunch. We then did, because we were consultants, a ridiculously long business plan with all sorts of rational arguments about why it would work. But actually it was just we were fed up with eating rubbish food on the go and wanted something better. Uh, so it was either that or people had asked me to be involved in things. So I was a founding director on the Sustainable Restaurant Association. London Union, a friend of mine, had created these amazing street markets, but they were very temporary and he wanted me to make it into something bigger and more permanent. And I just thought instinctively, that is an idea that's going to work. It's got a market. It's a growth market. It's not being mm. done. So I mean, in some ways, I don't think I'm Hard kind though, of... But you're the physicist now. I mean, this, what's interesting for me is there's a contradiction here. The, as you talked about formula logic and, uh, and, and structure and the way that you think, I imagine is, it has to be as a scientist, you have to go from A to B to C to D and so yes, on. But the, the, but and yet here we are. There's a, there's a massive oh, the, instinctive yes, sense for the, you that the, you just say, the, oh, the, that doesn't matter. I'm the, just going to go. So, so I agree. So the idea comes. You then test it. So there are other ideas. Mm. I mean, John in Leon has seven ideas every day and most of them are rubbish. Uh, so the ideas come for him more often than for me and there are quite a, quite a lot of them that you just, it comes and then you go, nah, it's not going to. So you obviously think about, okay, what's the market? Is it a growth? Uh, do I have, is there a way I can differentiate myself? How can I protect myself from the competition? Mm. There's all that stuff that goes on. But in the end, those ideas for me, and I think that one of the big problems with business books is that, and business experience is that it's very particular and things that work for one person cannot work for the other. For me, the idea has just come and then it's been tested. I've never gone out looking for, I've never thought, right, what's the next thing? I've always thought, if I wait, something will fly past and I'll spot it and think, that's the thing I want to do next. So I've never sat down and thought, right, what's my life plan now? What's the strategically, what's the next thing I want to do? Mm. I've always thought if I sit and wait, something will come and it will feel right. And then I'll use the logical side of my mind to check it's right. And then I'll throw everything into it. There you go. Don't repeat this at home, though, because it may not be right for you. That's Henry Dimbleby's approach. And it's a pretty good one, too. And it works for him. Now, I, I want to move away from the business creation point to the, the nature or the attitude that one has to have as a, as a person in business and a, and a creator as you, as you are. I'm just going to read you a, a quote from a, a, an earlier interview you did. If the business had failed, this is Leon, how would I have turned that around? Whether I would have, would I have been able to do that? That's an interesting question. Once you've been near to the brink a number of times, you get less worried about being near to the brink. That seems to me a very important attitudinal statement for someone in your position to make. Do you think about it like that, whatever it is, in terms of the latest invention? Yes, obviously there's also 
it can introduce complacency. <laughs> but or no, the so, opposite, or so just fear. I mean, what, in a good yeah, way. fear. Well, so yeah. what I think, whenever you get a group of entrepreneurs and you drink a few whiskeys late into the night, what always comes out is the fact that the grass always seems greener and people share the horror stories of the time they almost run out of money or lost their business or business is incredibly difficult for most people it's hard to build something new and um uh, and grow it to a point where you can make money out of it i don't think i'm an instinctive entrepreneur and that you know you meet people some people like started at 16 i mean i had a minor business when i was 14 in adult magazines at school but that's kind of that was my, uh, my. How did that go for you? Well, I, I look back and think that's that's a, you know, not available to the children of today. That entrepreneurial activity, but um, <laughs> but I wasn't someone who um, I wasn't someone who was starting businesses all the time, and therefore, by the time I got to starting Leon, it was quite late in life, relatively late in life, and it you know the jeopardy, the idea that if it failed, what would I be then? You know, I'd been a chef and a gossip columnist and a consultant, and I knew I didn't want to go back and do that, and then I would have been a failed business person. But what's interesting is that kind of fear is not helpful. No. So there's a level. So what you learn after a while and you talk to other people is you just learn to kind of cut that kind of fear out of your life and you become much slightly sociopathic in that I think you have to, you know, in that those really difficult moments become the things that that almost excite you because you know that everyone goes through them and these are the times where your stubbornness and hopefully a little bit of talent will get you through, and that is the difference between success and failure. But that, that's, an, that's an absolute conversion of that fear into something else, something much more yes. powerful yeah. and almost yeah. it's adrenaline, and, it's, and then, as you said, there's a detachment almost from the, yeah. the, the, the emotions of it. But there were bumpy times. I mean, people, yeah. again, we're looking here 14, how many years later that Leon's uh, created, and there's more funding now, and the thing's growing and so on, and they've been, you know, for all the original investors, people have done well, and, and you've done well, and so on. Yeah. Did you ever think it would actually collapse? No, I never thought it would. And I think, looking back, we were closer to the brink than, uh, than I maybe I thought at the time. But actually, that again is part of it. Basically, when, when you talk about collapse, what, you're in a situation where you're trying to raise money, and if you don't raise money, then you'll run out of money. That is basically where it is. And there is a tension then between what the value of the business is. You can always raise money for something, but you might be wiped out. And I think that actually that belief that it's not going to collapse is something that is really important to the future value of the business. And people can smell it. As soon as you don't believe, why the hell am I going to give you money to carry on? And so actually that belief is what keeps you coming in and focusing on getting the food better, getting the training better, opening the right sites, getting the design better. I I think if I had thought that I was close to collapse, it might actually have been a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah stay with me for my final chat with henry dimbleby plus we'll be playing a track from van morrison and apparently henry had dinner with van morrison that's all coming up in just a moment (laughs) jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal See you watching me like a hawk I don't mind the way you like to talk But if you touch me, got to give Live the life for love and I'll drop the life for live that was Van Morrison with I Live the Life I Live. It's a bit of a tongue twister. 
Now, talking of lives that you live, Henry, early on I sort of said that schizophrenia is the wrong word, but you are either multi-talented or unfocused in a really good way and that you just love doing different things and already, you know, you're able to do lots of different things. I'm very interested in your sense of civic duty and, and the sense that the public is as important as the private. If I look through the thread of a lot of the things you do, and I got gently involved in one of the projects, the school food plan, yes. a few years ago. Thank um, you. And it was a, an absolute honour, genuinely, and only did a little. But you're involved with DEFRA and you talk about food. You're involved, the London Union thing is sort of street food markets, but it's not all for profit. It's actually about reintroducing that culture and food to, to more people. There is that strand. Where does it come from, that sense of, do you know what, it's important you do things that are beyond me and my family? I don't know, really. I mean, part of it's probably just a kind of, I don't know, is it guilt? It's a very good question. I think, if I look at the world, I think that it has got clearly much better. You'd have seen Max Ross's data from Oxford. So the world is a much better place than it used to be. But it is still a horrible place. Although many fewer children die and infants, still a lot do. And it could be a much better place. And I definitely have a sense that capitalism on its own is not going to make the world a much better place. It has been a fantastic driver for the creation of wealth and the removal of people from poverty. But you need action alongside that to make the world a better place. And I just have really enjoyed... You know, Leon, in a sense, was actually... It was a slightly left brain, right brain. John would argue that we might have made more money more quickly and probably rightly if we hadn't been so worried about all the other stuff. Uh, So I kind of think that if you think that and if you are privileged enough, and that's where the guilt comes in, to be able to do that, that it is both beholden on you to do some stuff that is not just to make money and also it makes your life richer and more pleasurable and I think that you get a lot of people in business who moan about the state and how hopeless things are and that business is the only way to put things better and I just wish and I've said this before that more of them Hmm. would offer some help to you know bring their skills their considerable skills mine are less considerable probably but to other areas other than just the, the, the control span of their own business. A bit serious, that, wasn't it? No, no, serious. it's good. It's good because it's true. In terms of the question your father asked of the table, you know, it's all very well, you guys talking about whatever, you know, what's my legacy going to be? You're a young guy. You know, we were, we were both born in an excellent year. Very young. The, Getting the, younger uh, every, every... The year of the dog, yeah, 1970. Very, 1970. Very easy to remember how old you are. Very easy thought, to remember, yeah. even if you're bad at maths. Yeah. So it's a propitious year. But it, it, in terms of that, what, what would you like it to be, Henry? Would it be a few? It sounds like it would be a fusion of the public and the private. So I actually look at it as... I sometimes imagine kind of looking down from a hill, maybe just after I've died, at a valley below, which is my life. And it, um, and it has specific things. It's no, it's so no, having created Leon is something. The school food plan for me was something that I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, you know, the additional money that's going into universal free school meals, the change in school food standards... This opportunity I've got now to focus on a national food strategy to bring together the elements of the environment and health and food security that have been dealt with across all departments and never really had a linked up plan. I think after that, something else will come. And if I'm still got the energy and life in me to do it, I'll do it. But I think more in terms of individual pieces of the jigsaw stuff that I've done. My family, you know, I'm, I'm 
uh, none of all my children are still alive and seem vaguely happy in that. <laughs> you know, that, that's, well, that's, that's a good that's, thing, that's, isn't it? I think that is a major success. That's a miracle in itself. <laughs> Listen, I've, I've loved talking to you. It's really good to see you again. Um, and thank you so much for being so open and, and really interesting. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So this is my sister, Kate Dimbleby, and she is singing a Dory Previn song. Our daughter actually is called Dory. Uh, my sister introduced me to Dory Previn's work and I just think it's absolutely beautiful. It's kind of... She was married to Andre Previn. She had a very difficult uh, life. My sister actually did a whole show about her and met her, her husband. She went and did it in New York and her husband came to see it and told my sister uh, how moved he'd been by the show. But this song is about a woman who is lonely but doesn't want to admit it. And it is a beautiful song. And actually, the reason that my sister sang it was because my other sister, Liza, found it in a record shop in Glasgow and played it and rang Kate and said, you've got to listen to this song. So this is kind of a kind of sibling thing. My sister handed it to my younger sister, and then I loved it and named our daughter after the singer. It's a really, really beautiful song. If you haven't heard Dory Previn before, you are in for a treat. you care to stay till sunrise it's completely your decision it's just that going home is such a ride such a ride that was the song choice of my business shaper today henry dimbleby it was his sister kate dimbleby with the lady with the braid Henry, the guy who likes to make things come to life that weren't there before classic entrepreneurial trait Inside of him, though, the pleasure and the love of food, central to everything that he has been about, I think, over the years. Resourcefulness, a critical thing that he learned from being a gossip columnist, and finally that sense of civic duty, which also goes right through his life into business as well as personal. All really, really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a fantastic weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.